0: Hello and welcome to All This and the Oscars too. AwardsDaily.com's weekly, well actually monthly, no wait, annual podcast on the Oscar race. My name is Sasha Stone, I run the website AwardsDaily.com. I am here with editors Clarence Moy and Ryan Adams and our newest sort of member of our uh, team, Mark Johnson. Hello guys.
1: Hey, Hello. hey everybody.
0: So uh, today we're going to talk about this crazy Oscar season. We know that the Oscars aren't happening until April, but um, right now it's December and the film critics are starting to announce their awards. Today we had the Boston film critics and then later in the week we have the much more important uh, and very influential New York film critics, which are uh, usually announced before Boston. Boston usually comes in later. Um, And then we're going to talk about the best actress race and who we think is leading that and we're going to talk about Best Actor, which suddenly seems competitive again, where for a while it seemed like it was Chadwick Boseman's to lose. Now it might be a kind of a race between Anthony Hopkins and Chadwick Boseman. So, so first up, um, we want to talk to Mark Johnson, who's with us. Um, he, he doesn't really get to podcast with us that much, uh, kind of a busy life, and, um, uh, you know, a dad and and he works a full-time job and and so we, we sometimes get him on the podcast, but it's it's kind of hard to schedule. but um, Mark has been, as far as I, I have known him all these years, really good at predicting the Oscars. He has his own um, methods uh, and and how he sees the race. So I thought we could start out at the top with something um, with you know asking you, Mark, to tell us what is it that you think about when you when you predict the Oscars and, and how do you see this year? Uh, shaping up
2: all right well thank you um yeah so first of all how i see it shaping up is a little bit complicated i think this is you know it goes without saying this is going to be one of the most challenging years i think to forecast what's going to happen at least maybe until the guilds weigh in as usual but you know without being able to see box office receipts and and get real uh word of mouth from audiences uh, we're, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this in the column that's going to be coming out next week. Is uh, we're kind of just subject to what we're seeing in the vacuum of our Twitter uh, feed, right? So, you know, a movie like Trial of the Chicago Seven seems to have come and gone, but has it? You know, it, you know, it, maybe it has in our Twitter sphere, but um, you know, there's several months remaining before, like you mentioned, till the Oscars. So, is it a film that will get widely seen and we're just not hearing about it because we don't have word of mouth right now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a complicated year. Um, how I, how I typically tend to assess the race, uh, many, many things kind of go into it. I, i like to try and go with what I think just by, you know, a big part of it's my gut feeling. Um, what I, you know, I used to work with Clayton Davis, who's at variety now. And he, you know, oftentimes, used me as a barometer for the Academy because I'm a you know, middle-aged white dude. <laughs>
0: um,
2: so a lot of times my tastes line up with Academy members, mm-hmm. although, you know, obviously it's become a lot more diverse lately. But, um, you know, I, I tend to go with what I think and could see being an Oscar-type movie or, or whatnot. Um, I like to consider, again, what will the guilds think about this movie? And, you know, as, as we all know, the actors make up the biggest percentage of the guilds, which is – one of the main reasons I think I haven't let go of um, trial of the Chicago seven is I think, you know, it's a big acting film, big writing film. I could see both the writers and the actors going for it. And it's biggest competition right now seems to be Nomadland, which I know we'll talk about in a second with the critics awards, because I'm sure that'll be the critics darling this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm curious how Nomadland plays for the actors when some great performances in it, but a lot of the cast, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, their real life Mm -hmm. people and not actors so i don't know how that will translate with sag but um yeah that and uh, i just kind of keep an eye on consensus right with preferential ballot i look you know at the critics groups not as much for as a forecast but what are people what's the consensus is does this uh, you know does this uh category keep lining up similarly with different groups because while you know take you know take critics Awards with you know a grain of salt, it's it's still a consensus thing I think, I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the big picture collectively, so that's kind of how I assess it usually, and uh,
0: yeah, yeah, I like it, I like it. Um, so this is a really weird year, like nobody. I I actually yeah. had an Academy member write me on um, Instagram. Uh, today which was, I thought was really strange but <laughs> I did and they said you know like I really like your swag we're not really getting anything in our you know right now and I said and I wrote him back and I said well I'm sure that you know the, the Oscars are in April and Academy members will have to start you know finding a way to distinguish themselves and or heading into the Golden Globes or whatever it is they'll be getting their swag bags from these these productions and he wrote me back and he said um, yeah, it's it's just a really it's you know a really slim year. Like there's just no movies. And I wrote him back and said, yeah, I know it's it's really strange, isn't it? Um, but we have to make kind of make the Oscar race happen anyway <laughs> because it's happening. So uh, you know what I notice about it right off is that there aren't a lot of big studios in the race this year, which is really strange. Like I think Universal has News of the World. That's pretty much it, right? Everything else is streaming. Um, well, Focus has. Uh, I'm your woman. Oh.
3: Promising young woman.
0: Promising young woman, and who has Nomadland? Fox Searchlight or Searchlight? They're not Fox Searchlight anymore. They're Searchlight. Um, so those are kind of the littler studios, but the big studios aren't in the race this year. So it's all streaming. It's all like Netflix. It's Apple TV. It's um, HBO. It's you know. It's it's very strange, and Academy members are going to have to kind of adjust to this. But we don't have, you know, the the things that we usually have, which is an audience reaction. We don't know what people are going to think about these movies at all. Like you mentioned Chicago 7. I feel like that movie sank like a stone. I mean, what it needed was a big premiere with all those stars showing up. It needed to have Aaron Sorkin doing Q&As and Sacha Baron Cohen coming out and making everybody laugh, Eddie Redmayne charming everybody. Like that stuff really matters, it's never just about the movie. It's always about how everything all encompassing yeah, makes people feel, yeah, do you
2: think they'll do like academy screening still um with like the cast and crew that way they can do like q and a s and things like that?
0: not in person, they won't the, well, I
2: mean yeah, not in person but like a a virtual screening i mean for I academy think so,
0: members. but the thing is is that what I noticed is that um they You know, when you're in person in a room with someone, like you feel the energy of them and it it changes you, you know, it changes how you react to the to the actor. Like, for instance, if you're in a room with George Clooney, you know, you're going to feel his star (laughs) charisma coming to you like you you just you can't help it. Right. And John Dujardin or. I, I say that because I just went through the artist year, and I remember how, what a big deal it was that they kept bringing Uggy the dog to all the press events. And, you know, you had that is what won that movie the Oscar. Uh, Bong Joon-ho last year, he was at every single event being charming and funny and going viral. And that charisma of a person, that energy, you know, it drives, I think, the way that people vote. And so, without that, what are you going to have? Like, you're going to have Twitter. You're going to have how people are, you know, estimating the film on Twitter, and that's a really weird, unreliable uh, measure of how good a film is.
1: And I get, I, I've never been lucky enough to attend any of the Q and A um, screenings in person, but I got the impression that some of them, a lot of them, perhaps, um, had um, mingling events afterwards, where there were drinks and you could. Have- Actually, you know, get closer to people and 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 get some mm-hmm. feedback from them directly, and also from other people. That and that's another thing. Not only you're not just sitting there in in the room when you go to an event in person. You get feedback from the other people at, in attendance, but when you're watching on Zoom, it's just you're by yourself, and so you don't get to hear what other people who are watching are thinking. You only know what mm-hmm. you're thinking about what you're saying. Yeah, well, it's or, a one thing, one thing about mentioning about um, um, movies from big studios that mm-hmm. we, did you mention News of the World and Universal? Mm-hmm. Okay, I missed, I missed that. Sorry. That's the only That's one, one I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Clarence, what were we gonna say?
3: I was just gonna say I've been watching some of these Q and A sessions, and and again I haven't attended too many. I did attend one or two when I was in L.A. earlier in the year, but. Um, Watching them remotely, I mean, first of all, there's no urgency around it. I mean, you, you you get a certain time, but because people's lives are busy, they do give you several hours to eventually consume it before they end it at 12 uh, p.m. Uh, p- excuse me, 12 a.m. Pacific time. There's no urgency. There's no you 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 can't focus on it. You're sitting there. You're just it's just not the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as as you've mentioned, Sasha, about being in the room. So yes, Mark, they'll do these events, but I don't think they're nearly as Impactful as they would be if you were in person. Yeah,
1: makes sense. Right, they're so much more informal by their nature too, because people are in their own homes and they're in various, you know, um, modes of casualness. You know, about you know whether they're just sitting in their kitchen and or you know some of some people. I mean, it doesn't have the the feeling of an event at all. It's just like it's just more like a like any any other kind of Skype call or Zoom call.
0: Yeah. And you just don't like sitting hunched over your computer. You know, like part of the fun of these events was getting out and being around famous people. I mean, I hate to say it, but I knew an Academy member who said she just never showed up unless they had like hot food. Like they, (laughs) (laughs) She she knew there was going to be a spread and that would be the only way they'd get her out to a screening. And she just admitted this freely. Like, what's the food? And, you know, am I going to drive all the way out there if they've got good food? Sure, I will. But you cannot, you know, discount what that does to a production, to have these glittering, charismatic stars. You know, that's why, Mark, when we go to Telluride, that's why they bring them all up there. And that's why we spend time with them in bars and, you know, interviews. And and the closer you get to the stars, the more likely you are to fight for the movie because you feel like you're sort of fighting for somebody that you know. And, uh, that's all taken, taken away. So I feel like part of what we're left with is just sort of the obvious, which is the, is is saying social justice part of it a bad thing, (laughs) but, but, you know, we're, we're sort of left with that kind of urgency to, you know, have more women nominated and have more people of color nominated and have more wins for them to show gains in that regard I feel like that's sort of going to take the place of celebrity this year. Um, at you know, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if it sounds weird to say, but, but from my perspective, that's sort of what I'm looking at. Um, which brings us to the Boston film critics, which was the first critics group to announce their awards. I found their, uh, their choices to be very non woke, as you might say. Um, they didn't pick Chadwick Boseman for best actor. They picked Anthony Hopkins. They they really went in for Charlie Kaufman's um, I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, what did they pick for their best film? I didn't I, I sort of dropped There's, out. it was No, no Land. Land. No Mad Land. Okay, fine. Yeah. And director
2: one yeah, no one t- yeah, picture director in cinematography. Oh. Huh.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah. So that, that's a, so is that what you guys think is the, the critics? Are they just going to go all in for Nomadland, do you think?
2: It seems like the most critic-friendly film.
0: Um, critics in general, when they announce their awards, um, so we're, we're, have, we're coming up on New York Film Critics, and they're very unpredictable because the way that they vote... Is different from how other people vote. Other people just vote and then they announce their winners. I believe that the New, the New York Film Critics has like runoff. Does anybody know how they do it? But it's weird. Like they vote and then they vote again and then they vote again and finally they come up with winners. Hmm.
1: Right. I do think if it's if it's if it's not an overwhelming majority that they they do have their runoffs and that they, they debate. They had you know they have advocates for the films who. Um, stand up and make a case for the different films. And, and, and people who, who ha, in the past, who have given us the play-by-play have told us about how contentious it can get sometimes. Mm. That, and they'd have, they have to vote, uh, like you said, two or three rounds um, before they can uh, agree on and, and, and that. There, and there seems like there's often a, a major name, a big name critic in the group who, has, who can hold sway. Over the other critics Or convince other critics to come you know, Be on their side if they, if they have A particularly fav- a favorite movie It's odd, it's unusual but I do think that I think it's, Personally I think it's too early to say Whether or not Madland is going to run away With all the critics awards And I do think mm-hmm. there's a tendency with critics in particular Since they can see what other critics groups have done before them They might not all want to do the same thing They might decide that they um, Deliberately want to go a different way So that they don't so, that it's not all just uh, endorsing what other groups and other cities have done. They like to make, stake their own claim. And mm-hmm. so, I think that, I do think that No Man Land is looking good for a lot of critics' groups, yeah. but I think that it's gonna have an, an equal, um, equally important effect that's gonna make a lot of critics' groups decide that it's got enough love from other critics, so we'll go in a different direction.
0: Well, yeah, and people that I've noticed that watch it after they hear all the buzz about it, they, they think, uh, like... <laughs> uh, You're they think... not going
2: to out me. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I'm not. I'm just saying, like, they, they look at it and think, like, uh, really that? Like, and some people don't. Some people see it as, you know, because it is, it's a beautiful movie, I think. Like, it's just really... Oh, yeah. Um, moving and, you know, very specific storytelling. And it's very much capturing the zeitgeist of right now. But that's not what's going to be in four months. I was just going to say, like, last year it sort of bounced around. I remember that the narrative was, why aren't there more women filmmakers? And so you watch the Critics Awards come out, and nobody was picking any movies directed by women. And eventually Boston finally came up with Little Women as their number one film, remember? And mm-hmm. that sort of helped give that movie a platform to find its way into the Oscar race. But it was 100%, I think, done on sort of advocacy, you know, making sure that a film directed by a woman got in the race. That's how I saw it anyway. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but that's, that was my, um, my take on it. But it was interesting watching how the awards went down last year because it, was, it kept bobbing around from film to film. Um, with critics, and then with guilds, and then finally with Oscar deciding on Parasite, which was a good choice. It was just that it was an odd year. And so we don't know, we don't have that many choices this year. <laughs> like,
1: we just don't, you know. And I do think, I do, I do agree with you that I do believe that a lot of voters will at least factor in whether or not they they want to be inclusive in, in who they nominate and who they vote to be the winner. And in that case, out Zhao check, ticks off two boxes: mm-hmm. she's not a man and she's not white. And right. so they—it's like a double.
0: And she, she a made a good movie, right? It.
1: So and she made an excellent movie. I mean, right. it's a lovely, wonderful movie. I love it a lot too. I, but I do, and it's. But we have, should bear in mind that critics can sometimes they can boyhood a movie to death. You know, right? It can just every the boyhood just won everything until it didn't.
0: Right. Social network too. Same thing. Um, We don't know what the voters are going to do this year. We know that they've been mandated, you know, by this um, inclusivity um, program that they put in place for for two years from now or whenever it's going to take place. So they know that they've been sort of put on notice. So they're going to be, I think, deciding their choices that way. But um, given the sort of minimalist slate that they have at their disposal, um, I'm I'm really not sure how it's going to go. It's a very strange year. I would think that Chicago 7 has what I normally look at for a best picture. It's got a big a cast with a lot of actors. It's timely. It's moving. It's kind of exciting. But there's just something about it to me that makes me think, you know, no, that's not going to. It feels like Amistad. You know, like it's it has all the right um, packaging, but it's not quite there.
1: That's a great comparison, really. And in a way, Lincoln too—it's just almost like too. It's called, the pedigree is almost like too perfect, and, and and it is almost like too much, like a movie that is not of the moment. Not that it's, not, of course, it's not of the moment because it's said in 1968. But I mean, it's an it's an old-style Hollywood movie, kind of kind of movie that that you know like they used to make, and and. Uh, person i mean i liked it a lot it's one of my favorite movies of the year by you know no doubt about it but i didn't find the direction to be anything exceptional i mean i'm, I'm impressed i'm extremely impressed that that Aaron sorkin can direct at all you know i mean he doesn't have to he's a fantastic genius writer that should be enough that he can direct too is fantastic but it just seems like a he 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 can he did it but i didn't it wasn't outstanding to me not compared to to, and half a, a dozen other movies I can name that are more exceptional in as far as the um, director stamp.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. So, Mark, you're posting your um, your latest predictions column tomorrow. Um, what do you have for for best picture winner right now?
2: So I still yeah I still have the trial of the Chicago Seven out front, and kind of spoke about that with. Um, with just being an actor's film. And I I think you captured a little bit of it there. It's entertaining. You know, it's funny consistently throughout. Mm -hmm. It's well-performed. You know, and I think it's timely. I think it's, it's got a lot of that um, political angst inside, inside of it with a rousing ending. Yeah. And I think all those combined, I think you're right. I think it loses a little bit of what would have probably or possibly put it in position, which is it's a, it's a crowd. It's a theater film with a crowd. Right. Right. And without that, you lose a little bit of that emotion. I think that might be driven at that ending. But um, I don't know. We'll see. It's I think you're I think you're right. I don't think the director's guild probably awards it, but I could see the producer's guild. I could see SAG. I could see the writer's guild. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I can say the same, at least for right now with No Man Lane, which probably gets the director's guild maybe uh, if Meg doesn't. Um, So I don't know. What about I, I um, still
1: have that up front. What
0: about so, so Rain- talk about
1: you, you, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, you talk about pendulum swings a lot, about how a pendulum goes one direction, and, and yeah. then people say, okay, we've done that, and, and the pendulum and then swings back in the other direction. I think after a run of movies like, like uh, unusual movies, like Parasite and Shape of Water and Moonlight and um, yeah. y- even Birdman, they're, they're not typical Oscar- best picture winners in any, by any measure, the Academy might be ready to go back to an old-style uh, crowd-pleasing movie like *Chicago 7*. *The Pendulum might be ready to swing back because it's been—we've had a string of those really unusual, unique movies for a long time—and so could be time. Yeah, I mean, we had *Green Book* just a couple years
2: ago, oh, which green is very—you right. know—that's that's, that's mm-hmm. also very um, like a mainstream type film. And mm-hmm. I think that's right. where I was with *Trial of Chicago 7*; is it reminds me of a *Green Book*. And Argo kind of film Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, they, those movies found success. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I just can't get, maybe part of it's what you mentioned earlier about No Land. I just, when I saw it, I I thought it, it was a beautiful film. It's uh, I admire the the performance from Francis McDormand, the directing, the cinematography. There's a lot of elements to it that I liked, but I wasn't, you know, you know, blown away or whatever. Like I was with something like 1917 and Parasite last year, which either one of them would have made a terrific right. best picture. I do think it's a split year, though. Like I do think, yeah. uh, I do think I have Zhao still um, up front for director. So I'm currently
1: going mm-hmm. that route, even though I hate predicting
0: splits. I do too.
2: I do too. I think.
1: It, yeah. I. Th- but I do agree with you. It just seems feels like a split year to me too. Yeah.
0: But um, I here's my problem with Chicago Seven is Netflix. Uh, yeah. i don't know lot. if the academy's ready and i think that this year especially with Ooh. warner brothers making that decision and um uh the fear of streaming taking over hollywood uh i you know netflix is trying yeah. they're trying to to get rid of that stigma but it's still there and uh, uh, uh you know actors decide best pictures so if they don't care it's not going to yeah. matter It's not like the directors and the producers or whatever are going to decide best picture. As you saw with Parasite, the actors decide. Yep. Um, and I... Oh, okay. No, go you go ahead.
2: Oh, I was going to say, I, I agree with you. I, I, That's why I didn't pick Rome. I picked Green Book that year because I, I didn't think they were ready either. But I think this year, the pandemic kind of forces the hand
1: mm-hmm. to where...
2: I almost wonder if it's time to be thankful for Netflix that we still have the ability to see these movies because of, because of their distribution. A lot of movies were pulled off the table and pushed to next year. And I'm wondering if, you know, first of all, they have so many movies in the running that are, are strong contenders. The odds are that they've got a pretty good chance of winning it this year. Well, you know, it just depends, you know, do they figure out which one to really, really back for that?
3: Um,
2: and yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't I think, you know. I don't know right? But it just feels like this would be the right time for Netflix.
1: I think so, too. Exactly for the reason you said and we should be grateful for Netflix, because what would people have done this year without Netflix? In a way, it's, it's almost heroic that, that they yeah. have managed to help people through the pandemic all, all year long. Um, Netflix should be time person of the year. I know. No, yeah. seriously, I could I could actually
0: see that being the case. Like, yeah. if people wanted to reward them for building their house made of bricks, for instance, like yeah. they didn't build a house of straw. They built a house of bricks that could withstand this model. But there's a lot mm-hmm. of resentment out there still. Sure. There's, there's I, I, sure. Who was it that was getting really angry with me about Netflix? Somebody wrote me. I don't remember who it was. <laughs> um, I wish I did, but it was somebody saying, like, Netflix doesn't make any money. Like they don't, you know, like you're talking about, you're writing this this piece about best picture and you're talking about not having, oh, I know who it was, okay. And and you're talking about not having Hollywood movies be able to get out there and make money and that being the measure of success because that's always been the way, well, it was for many, many years, the way that we measured success is how well it did with audiences, right? Um. We don't have those metrics this year. For one thing, Netflix keeps them under wraps, um, and so we don't really know what's the most watched movie. We don't know really. We can look at the audience of, uh, ratings on um, Rotten Tomatoes, but um, but that's pretty much it. Like we don't have box office to measure.
1: Um, Here, if someone said to me that Netflix doesn't have the financials behind it, what my argument would be: Netflix is 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 multi-billion-dollar company, they're rolling in money, and not only do they have plenty of money, so obviously they're making money hand over fist. They also pay their talent really well, and so there's nobody in Hollywood who makes an, who's involved with Netflix in any way that doesn't make money from Netflix. Right. And so the people who are the voters are the filmmakers, and they are grateful for someone like Netflix, with the deep pockets and is very generous with budgets and just because people carte blanche to do what they want. And so I don't think that the box office is that important.
0: Well, see, that's the thing is that Netflix really, they firmly stand behind the artist, right? So who else but Netflix would have produced Mank, for instance, or um, that... The Irishman. The Irishman or that Steven Soderbergh movie. (laughs) (laughs) How <laughs> weird! Wait, was that Netflix? No, so that's, that's HBO. That's HBO. Yeah, oh, okay. so forget that well, <laughs> one. Netflix <Max>. is <laughs> Netflix is sort of influencing other people to sort of take a risk, you know, where people can watch these yeah. things. And, um, we don't know what the fault is. You know, change is hard. Everybody knows that change is hard, um, but it does change. Like as I was saying, like in the '80s, I was working at a video store in Santa Monica that got bought out by uh, Blockbuster which then got bought out by Netflix and, you know, both of those things died. And when video stores came out, people thought that was the end of movies. Um, mm-hmm. So movies have always survived. It's just that people are threatened, you know, by streaming. They, they are disappointed and angry about it. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to pick a movie that they really like, that they like sitting home um, on their couch, watching on their television with their their friends and family around, maybe or maybe even not. They're gonna have to honestly like that movie when they when they decide to vote for it. So um, we should move on to Best Actress. Our front runner for Best Actress. Um, I'm start starting to think that Viola Davis might win it. What do you guys think?
1: Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me. I
3: mean, she's it's- definitely the front runner. Yeah, it's not yeah. going to be Frances McDormand. That's not a performance that wins a third Oscar, I don't yeah, think. Yeah. I mean, she's great, but I just don't think it's – I just don't think she wins a third one.
1: Right. And, I just on that same topic before we move on away from Nomadland, um, the actors are a powerful force in the Academy, yeah. and I wonder how they feel about a movie where there are only two two big-name actors in the entire cast and everyone mm. else is it, it does a fantastic job as just an amateur.
3: Yeah.
1: I don't know how – that. I don't I can't think of any precedent for
3: that. You know, it's best actress is really typifying of the way that I'm looking at the race this year. It's almost like I'm backing into choices instead of picking <laughs> an immediate frontrunner. And ex- yeah. with the exception of Best Actor. Best actor I still think is Chadwick Boseman, even though Boston threw Anthony Hopkins. You know, it's a bit of a curveball. Maybe that is going to be a race. But with Best Actress, I mean I'm, I'm looking at, okay, it's it's not going to be Francis McDormand. I don't think a lot of people are going to watch pieces of a woman. Carrie Mulligan, a promising young woman, is too, is probably going to be too divisive. Even though I think it's a brilliant film, so I'm almost like backing into Viola Davis rather than immediately selecting her. And and a lot of other races are that way for me.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I still can't pull myself away from Vanessa Kirby mm. in the front row. Right. I I'm either going to be way wrong on a lot of these things to start or not, but you know it's early. So I think early in the race, it's fun to kind of differentiate a little bit. If you know, go with your gut. And you know, it'll it'll pull together if Viola starts winning everything and then wins SAG and then, you know, I'll yeah. I'll shift back. But I'd I'd rather stand uh with my gut intuition, I guess, for now. And so I still have Kirby one and, and, and Davis two. But Davis is Davis is kind of the clear front runner if you go to like Gold Derby or, or any of those other um sites where people predict things. It's it seems like most of them have her up front and you know, understandably she's one of one of the best actresses working today. I just we know that the lead actress category tends to go to the young, ingenue mm-hmm. actress. Like it, there's a long history of that in this category. Not maybe lately, right? The last three were Renee Zellweger, Olivia Colman, and Frances McDormand. So maybe things have shifted away um, from that. But I don't know. Vanessa Kirby gave one hell of a performance. Not that not that Viola Davis didn't, but that that performance in that movie has. Really stuck with me more mm. than I really thought it would. So,
1: yeah. Oh, me too. I think it's a masterpiece. I, I like it a lot. I, like, I, I, I I'm, I'm really like the movie very, very much. Everything about it, the way it was staged and the, 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 the thought, the depth that the director put into all the compositions and everything. And if I had a ballot, if I got a ballot, I would be voting for Vanessa Kirby. I'm just saying who I think. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know that. I don't know about how, how such a movie this, that. Is really kind of difficult. Is going to go yeah. over with so many, with the, with the, with many of the voters.
3: Well, that's yeah. That's where I am too, because you know I think if this had been a normal year and Netflix could have trotted out Vanessa Kirby and had her all these parties and built a narrative around right. yes, I mean she's so amazing. Look at her. She's this brilliant talent. You remember you liked her in The Crown, but you love right. her in this. Look at you know just just have her wine and dine, charm all the voters. They'll watch the movie and then yeah, she'd have a stronger case. Here in the quarantine and COVID, where everything is sad right. and everything is bad, <laughs> and there's all this anxiety about everything, yeah. are they going to sit down and watch something because right. it's the right thing to do, because it's a brilliant performance, or are they going to look for something that is, you know, maybe a little bit lighter? I don't know that right. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is light, but, you know, it, it's, there's music in it. It's not about yeah. a dead oh, child. They'll, they'll definitely
0: <laughs> it's not about Ma your Ma baby dog. To...
2: <laughs> right, there's definitely a lot If nothing else, for Chadwick, you know what yeah, I mean. So exactly, and I that, think there will be more eyes, I'm sure, on that one.
1: It's If I like- had known what I w- if I knew what what pieces of a woman was going to be about, I I might not have been as eager to watch it. Right, I had just no idea. I had no idea what what I was getting into. So I mean, it took the whole that first 25 minutes. Julie took me by surprise, and just blew me away. But I, if I had known that's what it was going to be, if someone had told me, I would have thought I'm not in the mood for that.
0: Well, I I think that she's amazing, but I I have to admit that I I like her performance better now that I've seen her in The Crown, where she is a virtuoso. Mm -hmm. Like, she's amazing in The Crown. Like, seriously. And so this is a good thing to remember, which is that, Clarence, as you're talking about it, and Mark, as as you're bringing up how younger women do well, well, one of the reasons why is because they present themselves on the red carpet looking Mm -hmm. stunning, Right? right. So they don't have that opportunity now. She, we can't see Vanessa Kirby right. in a beautiful dress, you know, showing her, you know, for people to look at her. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry, but I know there's no other way to say it. Like it's just that's taken off the table, but it's a big deal. Like Jennifer Lawrence, I don't think she would have won if she had been, but, you know, not out there for people to see how pretty she was and stuff. And
1: uh, know, That's why it's so lucky for her, though, because really the crown is her red carpet. The crown is her, and and people, people, a lot of people are, are hooked on the crown. and just love it, so they know from the crown the transformation yeah. from one character to the other that she can do. And so she gets the red carpet moment that other actresses don't have the advantage of, who don't have multiple great performances this year. Right.
0: Has. So here's what Viola Davis is going to have. She's going to have history. Right. No black actress has won since Halle Berry in 2001. That's um, 10 years ago. And no, I mean, that's a pretty hell of, that's a hell of a stat. And yeah. once Twitter figures that out, like, <laughs> you know, they're going to start talking about it, I think. And and so I think that helps her. Um, I also think that she's in another, you know, August Wilson play. It, it's weird that Viola Davis is always in this situation where she's in the supporting character, like... And she should be lead, mm. but for whatever reason, even in Ma Rainey, she's supporting, right? She's not a, the lead Definitely, character. Yeah. So, yeah, that's
1: she's call. central. She's the central character, but she's not the protagonist and she's not mm. the, she doesn't have the character arc that, that Levy does. And she, from I think I read someone said who, who looked into this kind of thing that she only has like 36 minutes on screen. Right. Yeah, but
3: don't, I mean, but, you know, Anthony Hawkins still won for Silence of the Lambs. Right, that's true. Right. I mean, she's <laughs> not a cannibal, but. That we know of. Her
1: presence, just like Anthony Hopkins, though her presence is felt in every scene that she's not in. Yes,
3: she okay. she oh. absolutely yeah. weighs over the whole proceedings. Whether or not she's in on screen, her her everybody's talking about her. And right. It,
0: yeah. She also plays a you know a very kind of pioneering early out lesbian, right? Mm-hmm. Which is very much 2020. Um, sort of mindset it's it's kind of cool to celebrate a woman who you know was confident enough that she could come out as a black woman and be gay or bi or whatever she was I mean I think that's kind of relevant and cool I also think she herself um her career kind of deserves to be celebrated at this point and um I think that's really gonna. If, if Netflix, I don't think Netflix is gonna like push for Vanessa Kirby over Viola Davis, for instance, and and it is the same studio, so yeah. they have to decide.
1: And the director did a really. Um, George Wolf did a really smart thing by bookending the play with with visuals with with scenes and outside the recording studio that didn't exist on stage, of course. So she gets ten ten a good ten or twelve minutes. The beginning of the movie this, that don't exist in the play, and then the film, you know, it, it ends with, on her face too. And so she bookends it in a way that makes her own the movie, in a way that she might not have on stage.
3: Mm-hmm. And yet, her and those performances. I mean, this is sort of a, a version of or a performance from Viola Davis that we haven't seen before. Like she's never been. Right. She's always the powerful woman in control. Yes, but she's never been. A performer like this, at least I can't. uh, Can I remember? She's always been, you know, um, the maid, or she's, you know, uh, this is somebody using their blackness at as a. As a money making opportunity, as something she celebrates. And it's it's very different for her. And I, you know, I, I definitely applaud it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is for me, the best performance that I saw was um, Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young mm-hmm. Woman. Like I think that, yeah, she's if, fantastic. honestly, if I had a vote, that would be my vote. I thought she just, I, you know. I think,
2: I think you're onto something though with that. I think that's, I, I, I have her four, but I, I really want to have her two. Like yeah. I just, like, I don't know why. Like I, I, I'm not on the Viola or Francis bandwagon right now. I just, I'm, I really feel like I, that, that, you, that it's Kirby or, or Carrie. Because I, and I think people are going to think like you, like you just said. Like that's that's who I would vote for too. For I know, too, and I think others would. Yeah. I think
0: it's just it's spectacular. It's a great yeah. performance. Um, forget Frances McDormand; she's not going to win this. <laughs> <laughs> like, just take her off the list. She's not going to uh-huh. win it. Um, mm. The movie will, of course, I think, win Best Picture and Best Director um, because you know my The way that I do the Oscars is I look at like what is the kicking puppy. Um, movie, uh, you know <laughs> you can't kick a puppy. And like, what's the movie that people cannot criticize? And yeah, that's No man Land. criticize yeah. that? With the director, both of them. She's just amazing, Chloe Zhao. Like she's and she's beautiful. Um, she's exactly the kind of, um, person that they would, you know, they only award beautiful (laughs) women, uh, directors. And so I think that, you know, that helps her a lot. And I think that they will really be jazzed by the idea of awarding, making history with the first woman of color after Kamala Harris takes vice president. Like that does have an impact, you know, on how people vote. So I feel like she's going to do really well, but I don't think Forget Francis, like, no, she's not going to win again. Um, but I think Carrie Mulligan, I think that we're going to enter some kind of strange territory with, with Promising Young Woman. Like, I, I was surprised by some of the reactions I've seen to it so far. There, There is a little bit of um, pushback, I think. Um, did really? you guys happen to see, you know, some people were sort of unsettled with the ending. I didn't really follow that.
2: Oh. Oh, I loved the ending. I didn't, I didn't see that.
0: Yeah. Huh.
3: Yeah, Um, from conversations and uh, I don't want to speak for this person, but from conversations I had with someone, um, they were looking at the ending. They were sort of offended by the way this was a woman and she was sort of offended by the way that men were responding to the film as if this is, you know, some kick ass revenge fantasy. Right. Um, when this particular woman watched the film and was very depressed by the ending, said this is Mm. a suicide. This this girl has you know, whether she intended to or not, she walked into a situation where she thought she wasn't gonna come out of it. She or she in some way it's a suicide and it was a very dark, depressing ending for this particular person that is, you know, talking about the film. So that that is out there for sure. No, I think there's also the impression that
1: that in order to in order to I don't want to finish it because it, it, it involved it, it directly involved the way that the, the the final twist and I can't talk about it. So right. So
0: I just want to say about promising young woman that I mean I don't think it's any secret that I'm very much kind of this sort of resisting the you know a lot of what I see with the the Me Too movement. I know I hate to say that out loud, but it's just the fact. Um, so when I watched the movie, I thought, oh, this is so. Um, this movie is so. It's such a like in the mindset of me too. And you have to a hundred percent agree that like every man is a rapist and every woman is a victim. But I watched the movie, I watched it to the end and like a day went by. This movie was like a ghost. It wouldn't stop haunting me. Yeah. The next, I thought about it all night. I thought about it the next day. And then I thought about it the next day. And then the next day, the music, the last images from it, they were just compelling me. And I had to stop and rethink it. I had to say, okay, you know what, that is a powerful piece of cinema. That movie got under my skin and it made me think about things in a way that I have never done about certain subjects. And I was into it, you know, and, and I do see it as a revenge fantasy only in as much as it's not a fantasy. It's not like, yeah, you go and get them. It's more like these these sort of cinematic heroes who, who kind of dive into a situation and do what they have to do to right the wrongs that they believe have have happened and usually that means that they're a doomed character you know but I liked how she totally went there like just fully went there I I, I just I admire it so much and I I hesitate to recommend it to people because you know somebody said to me "Um, how can you like this movie when it's so much you know about like the Me Too hysteria and I was like yeah, but that's what's great about it. Like, it, it's from her perspective. It's her point of view. Like, if you look at it as in the universe of this, it's a Me Too horror movie, really. Um, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I was really knocked out by it, ultimately.
1: And I would think that one thing that should, that should make it palatable by people who, are, who don't like the idea that all men are guilty and, and is that she makes decisions on a case-by-case basis. And the movie really took a great turn for me when she decided to not punish someone that she had intended, that she thought she was going to punish, right? Is that a spoiler? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. who was, uh, don't Has know. the movie even released yet? Like, I don't know. No, People it seen, I don't no uh, oh, yeah.
1: I know. Oh, shoot. Okay. I mean, it's, but I mean to say, and I'll rephrase it, and you can see if this will work. She doesn't doesn't treat all men the same way in this movie she makes decisions based on each individual person and I, for me that's different than than what a lot of people are repelled by where is believe all women all the time and there's no right. exceptions
0: yeah so a criticism i heard of it was that they liked that they, they wished that it had been a little bit more um, in that direction of she is a you know she went too far and you know she's kind of an unreliable Heroin, um, that would have been a better kind of path for the filmmaker to take. But the way I look at it is if a movie affects you that much, like if it really moves you to that degree, then, then it has, then it, that gives it significance and you have to figure out why, you know, even if your brain can't make sense of it, you have to figure out what that is that's powerful in that movie that's really affecting you, you know, and then that's how I feel about that. So my personal choice would be her, But I feel like with Chadwick Boseman potentially winning Best Actor, I feel like Viola Davis has that momentum going for her. She's going to end up being the one person who can get up there and speak for the movie and speak for Chadwick Boseman. And I feel like that's going to add sort of um, Mm -hmm. energy to the project, to to the win. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Right?
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. Yes, I agree.
0: All right, so before Mark goes, we have to talk about (laughs) Mank. <laughs> We're not going to okay. gang up on you, Mark. Uh, but I, I feel like I I think that the Mank is a divisive movie, obviously, um, as a lot of fin- Fincher films are. But um, of the three of us, I think I mean I I think I'm speaking for the three of us when I say that um, when I mean Ryan and Clarence, um, we really like the movie. But I think that the Mark is sort of the one dissenter. And um, did you want to talk about that? <laughs> we <laughs> won't attack you. I promise. I
1: think it's <laughs> So,
2: listen, I respect the movie, and I, I love Fincher. Um, I, I've liked most of his films, and uh, Social Network was one of my all-time favorites of at least that decade, and, mm. you know, Seven. and Fight Club. Huge huge fan of a lot of his stuff. Um, I respect the movie, and again, I've only seen it once. So I do plan on giving it a second viewing to, you know, make sure I'm in the right mindset. Uh, sometimes that happens. I mean, the first time I ever saw Shane... I don't know if you guys have seen the... the I think it's 1953 Western, Dalton <laughs> lad. First time I saw Shane, I thought it was crap. And then Aww. I went back to visit, it, and I love Shane. It's one of my all-time favorite movies now. So, uh. Uh, you know, things can happen. You can be in the the wrong mood when you watch something a first time and it, and it throws it off for you. But uh, I thought it was very technically well done. Performances were outstanding across the board. Cinematography, the score was fantastic. Everything about it, I just... Uh, so do you remember in the movie, I'm going to be all over the place, I apologize. <laughs> do you guys remember in Amadeus, the movie Amadeus, when the king, Mozart plays for the king and then they wait for the king's response and he says, there oh, were simply English. too many notes, right? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's
2: kind of where I am with me because it felt like there was just so much going on and talking and
1: I don't know. Of course, Charlie yeah, he was totally wrong by saying it was too many, oh, many notes. <laughs> he was yeah. wrong. Wrong together.
0: Together. <laughs> so if you're saying that Mank is a Mozart concerto, I can live with yeah, that. Right.
1: <laughs> 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 king, George,
0: I can live with that. No, but I, I feel like you're not alone in that assessment. Like I do feel like it's incredibly divisive. And when I saw it, I thought, there's no way that movie's winning Best Picture. Ryan disagrees with me on this, by the way. I think he thinks it's possible... <laughs> Um, that it could win but I I definitely don't think it's I don't think actors can can roll with that I will say that my friend Michael um, who you know he hated Parasite for instance Um, he's like not somebody to go along he really loved Mank. he called me especially to tell me how much he loved it and how he couldn't wait to see it again because he's a a huge fan of old movies and he saw Mm -hmm. that the way Fincher had um, really sort of kept true to that sort of sensibility and he found it to be like 100% authentic and he loved that about it. Um, I do think that it's the kind of thing that like, you know, for me, like I've been watching David Fincher movies, you know, over and over again for much of my adult life. And I find that the more I watch them, the more they reveal themselves to me. That's always true of Martin Scorsese movies too. And I've had this thing where you know, throughout my time as an Oscar blogger starting in nineteen ninety nine um, I would always feel like I have to explain Scorsese movies to people. And I knew how the industry kind of resented and and kind of resented Scorsese, but eventually they were begrudgingly approving of him. And I feel like that's sort of where Fincher is right now. like they they do sort of resent him. like Paul Schrader was bitching about the movie on Facebook, for instance, yeah. and other directors don't like it like. They they never like people who reach too far and too high. Like they like they like nuts and bolts filmmakers. They like you know they like uh, Ford v Ferrari. Like that's they like that. You know they like that kind of complete movie that doesn't try too hard. Isn't what they would define as pretentious. You know, but but David Fincher's movie was, was strangely like I will not dumb this thing down. Like, I'm going to make this movie for smart cinephiles, right? Like, and Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you can't keep up, you can't keep up. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that makes for an enjoyable watch. You know what I mean? Like, people don't necessarily go to movies to, like, engage that part of their brain. Like, I think people watch movies to sort of be moved by a story or to have a catharsis, you know, or to have it take you somewhere. And it's hard with Mank because it's, about something so specific and strange that it doesn't necessarily take you anywhere unless you're just like jazzed by what it looks like and the costumes and the scenery. And I feel like most people watching it are going to kind of react to it that way because the story is so dense. You know, it's it's hard to access. Um, I'm not saying like only smart people get the movie. I'm not saying that. It sounds like that's what I'm saying, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's 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 what Woody Allen would call cerebral, right? It's a cerebral experience, mm. and and some movies are like that, where it's just it's a hundred percent, you know, cerebral thing.
1: I got really frustrated with one of our one of my favorite people on the site. I won't name him he, if he listens to the podcast. I want him to know, and he already he already knows. I really think highly of him. I really like him. So much. He's one of my favorite people on the site. We got into a spat, sort of a little bit of a debate on the site about a specific thing that he he thought that Fincher had flubbed up and made a mistake. And I was told did the very best I could to argue the case that it was a mistake, that it was not a mistake, and I could explain to him why. But he and I I don't know if he finally just got tired of me because you know how I can just I'm like a dog with a rag. I won't let go of it. I just I just kind of really I just really would not give up on trying to convince him that it was not a mistake, that Finchers does not make mistakes as egregious as this would have been. What it was in the in the pitch, um, in the the pitch scene with the pitch to von Sternberg and Selznick's office, they're all throwing out movies about this, um, mo- this horror movie that's sort of cooking up on the spot, and one of the Selznick's assistants sitting there, he says, maybe it'll be something like Frankenstein or the Wolfman. And so the, the, our reader on the site is a very, very, very smart person. He said, how could you be talking about Wolfman and Frankenstein mm-hmm. when, when, they take, when they were filmed in 31 and 41, and the scene takes place in 1930? And so I said, well, it's obvious that they're talking about the, the, the characters, the books, the myths. They're not talking about the movies that haven't been made yet. They're talking about having Paramount make a movie that Universal hasn't gotten around to yet. That's what it is. It's, it's, certainly Fincher would not make a mistake and mention the Wolfman movie that's not going to be made for 11 more years. Nobody, not only would he not, not do that, but there are dozens and hundreds of people on Mank who would say, hey, wait a minute, we can't be talking about a Wolfman movie because it won't be made until 1941. But anyway, the point is, I got, he got frustrated with me and he kind of like gave up. And I think one of the last things I said was, and I hope it didn't come across as too, as too harsh, I said, Fincher doesn't make movies for people who don't like to think. It's not that he makes movies only for smart people, but you do have to meet him halfway. If he does something, you have to accept that he knows what he's doing, and you instead of trying to instantly think he got that wrong, you have to think why is it why is that right? And so in order yeah. to figure out why he's right, you have to think about it. And it wasn't even immediately apparent to me, but it was so that can be the that's the only answer that they were not talking about because even Dracula not even come out yet universal had not even made dracula yet in 1930 and so he can't possibly be talking when they're talking about the the universal makes horror movies universal made dozens of horror movies in the 1920s before yeah. they did the classic sound error 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 era and um so anyway that's that's my rant well no it, i think that's a good rant
0: of course i love that ryan i love you're you just like oh, well i happen to have well, I have to have Marshall McLuhan right here. <laughs> no, right, but, exactly. um, I mean, but it's, yeah, it's right? It's like I, I couldn't say
1: yeah. that, but I could say, you know, if you want me to ask him, I will, but I already know mm. I don't have to ask him.
0: Right. You know? So the thing about, I mean, this is how I see Mank over, you know, after many, many viewings of it is that, you know, there, it, it isn't just a question of who wrote Citizen Kane. Like that to me is like sort of the base level of, of looking at this movie. To me, it's more about uh, who who in the world could have ever come up with something that ended up becoming the greatest film of all time? How do you get there? Like that is such an important question. It's not Orson Welles. It's not 24 year old Orson Welles. Sure. He, you couldn't have it without the the wonderful performance of him, the way he directed actors, um, you know, his contributions about his own childhood, all of that mattered a lot. But what was the, what was the, and, you know, why has Citizen Kane resonated all these years? It's resonated because it is the quintessential American story. It's about the dark side of the American dream where you can build anything, you can be anything, you can become a multi-billionaire and you can still be an empty, sad, lonely man who, you know, can never find love. So where does that come from? What kind of person would have to have, you know, what experience would take you to that dark place? And well, that's me, what mank Huh?
2: Well, let me tell you.
0: Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Just
2: kidding. <laughs> oh, please
0: tell me, Mark. <laughs> tell me, Mark. No, but I think that this is a, you know, it is, it to me, it explains the same way that Citizen Kane unfurls to try to tell the story of Rosebud. Rosebud. So does... <laughs> mank point is is that it unfurls the same way as citizen kane does that's what's so genius about it is that you know he he writes a movie that's a that's a a snail like that's a coil that you know you have to figure out and then that's what mank is like it's you're figuring out how could anybody have come up with this idea well you couldn't get there unless you were a failure that he is you couldn't get there unless you had you were disillusioned with someone um so anyway, blah blah blah. I could go on and on. And it's
1: not even that Mink was a, had he 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 was on the downs he was on the downslope for sure. But he was far from a failure. All through the twenties, he did some magnificent movies. He wrote Dinner at Eight all by himself. You know, well not all mm. by himself. I think Francis Marion was co-writer. But Mink I think had top billing in that as writer. Mink and he was well known as like a, a a script doctor who'd come in and fix any script and make it better. And so he had a really great reputation but he was definitely and another thing about Mank that I recently found out he was one of the first writers to work on the Wizard of Oz screenplay and they took it went through several writers but the thing that Mank added was the entire Kansas sequence that was all Mank. That's not in the book. That's not in the the, the Wizard of Oz book. Not only did Mank write the Kansas sequence, he specified that it should be filmed in black and white.
0: No, I know. That was and, him. And the amazing thing about yeah. it is that his contribution made Citizen Kane the greatest film of all time. Orson Welles never made a better movie. Uh, Herman Mankiewicz never wrote a better script. It was a one-shot, one-trick pony. Oh, is but magic.
1: It's alchemy. Right?
0: But his brother, yeah. Joseph Mankiewicz... That's that's mm. the amazing thing about what I love about this movie is that the more you know about it, the better it is. Like, Joseph Mankiewicz, like, directed all about Eve. Like, he well. <laughs> he became hugely successful. Herman Mankiewicz was like a shadow compared to Joseph um, Mankiewicz. And, you know, that's in the movie too, but it's it's really something that you have to take with you when you're watching it to know that, like, this is what Mank had. This was his one tiny, little, teeny, tiny moment where he was both... Ready to take down, he was a Don Quixote, ready to take down an, um, a powerful man and had the guts to do it. Um, and it was the one moment in his life where he actually did something worthwhile. And not only is it something worthwhile, but it's the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> like
1: I just love that. Right. Another another unsung hero in Mank, I think, is John Hausman. Although he's given, he's not given very much, very much to do, very many. S- he does have that pivotal scene where he tells mank you need to reconsider you've really got something here and you really ought to think about not signing your 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 name right away and letting Orson take complete um, credit for it because you've got something that could be this could be your legacy and he it was him I think who really I think they included that scene so that you could see that he he would influence mank to reconsider whether he should ab- abide by the agreement that he had originally signed with Wells. And Hausman himself went on to have a stellar career in Hollywood. He did fantastic movies like a lot of noir, like the Blue Dahlia and They Live by Night. I think he, uh, I think he produced um, Bad and the Beautiful with Vincent Minelli. And so Hausman, although he and Orson Welles were on the outs themselves, they had split up in 38 or 39 over some Mercury Theater thing, I think. Right. Um, but um, but Wells knew that he could depend on Houseman to sort of babysit for Mank. Yeah. He would understand how to handle him. And I know. I mean, I, mean, I, I get... I just love the movie. so I, many things I love about it. Same
0: with me. I mean, I get the I get the um, criticisms. Mark, I, I definitely hear you. Like, I don't think that you're crazy for how you feel. I think a lot of people probably feel that way. I think you're just being more honest, you know, than most people would be. But... Um, and I, I, don't know that if you watch it again, if you will, you know, like it again. It's like it's really. A, I understand how you feel. You know, like I, I get it. So I'm not I mean, trying to talk you out. We don't have of to it. like the
1: same movies. I mean, it'd be <laughs> creepy if we did. It would be weird, and nobody would want to listen to a podcast where we all agree with each other all the time. Some movies are just don't, don't have, don't, don't touch a chord the right chord with everyone. And that's fine, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm not ever, any nothing I've said, Mark, has anything to do with your interpretation oh, yeah. or your or your impression of the movie. If you're not, if he, it was less than you expected, that's fine, um, I'm sorry, but, and I do hope that you, if you see it, when you see it again, two or three times or 10 more times, that you'll like it the more and more that you watch it. Yeah. Because I want you to enjoy it as much as I did. I just want everyone to love as
2: much as I do. That's always the hope. You know, I don't ever go into a movie, unless it's maybe directed by Michael Bay, because for those who know me Uh know that I hate Michael Bay. Um, But if anything else, I go into it, you know, hoping to enjoy it. And, you know, I think there's a good chance I come around on it eventually, and I really enjoyed listening to what you guys had to say about it. And, uh, you know, I'll let you know what I think. Uh, I have a few days off here, and I'm going to Catch up on a couple other things I haven't seen, but definitely want to revisit it.
1: Yeah. I mean, myself, when I first, the first time I saw Mike, then the night that we all got our screener uh, opportunity, at the end of that, I thought, well, that's not what I expected at all. <laughs> that is absolutely not what I expected. But I couldn't wait to see it again because now that I knew what it was, I wouldn't have to be fighting the impulse that I had my preconceived notion about what I wanted it to be. I could accept what it was and enjoy it for that. And which I found immensely enjoying. No, no. no, no I just I'm, you have to calm me down. Because it, you know, every time we <laughs> No, go I, the I feel that way night, too.
0: Like I, <laughs> I mean, I think that because Citizen Kane is still my like favorite movie of all time. Like it's number one for me. It always has been. I watch it all the time. I know it really well. That's why the saying on the site is, "You provide the prose poems, I'll provide the war." That's from Citizen Kane. Um, And I started my website because of Citizen Kane because um, I couldn't figure out why Citizen Kane, which was known as one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, didn't win where How Green Was My Valley did. I understand now why that happened. I'm very, very understanding of why that happened. But John Ford had won um, Best Director twice but not Best Picture. How Green Was My Valley was a crowd pleaser. It was sentimental. um, And... You know, made a lot of money. Citizen Kane was completely um, attacked and blackballed, really, by Hearst. Uh,
1: it, and it, it, and were- it scared Hollywood. I mean, a, a lot of people who first saw it, the critics especially, who didn't have anything to lose by loving it, were not shy about saying yeah. how much they loved it. But it must have put, I mean, you know, we know how much fear it put through upper echelons of Hollywood about what the retribution might be if if they awarded this movie and what Hearst might do to everyone,
3: and so yeah. that was part of it too. I can't wait mm-hmm.
1: to get to our Oscar, um, uh, Oscar history podcast episode <laughs> where we we devote three weeks to Citizen Kane. Yeah,
0: exactly. No, I I never stop watching it. I never stop thinking about it. I love it so much. It is such a great movie, and I feel like Jack Fincher, David Fincher's dad, really wanted to you know kind of dig into this one. But David Fincher. Took it and said, What is great about Citizen Kane? You know, the cinematography, right? The writing, the acting. So you can't make a movie about Citizen Kane without really bringing it in terms of cinematography um, alone, mm-hmm. right? So he, you know, his, t- to David Fincher, he's looking at that and he's thinking, How can I top this? You know, or how can I even equal it? How can I even be in the same room as Citizen Kane? Um,
1: or how can I match it with the same sort of technical Brio that, that we are able to do now in 2020 that would, would, would emulate in a way that was, it was a stunning looking uh, a stunning looking today and different today as Sisson as, as Kane was to people in 1941 who'd never seen anything quite like that before.. Right. So it's,
0: and um, Clarence just points me to this like hideous review. <laughs> the movie that gave it an F and they're talking about sexism and they're talking about the Bechdel test and this and that. It's like, yes, if that is the way that you interface with movies, the Bechdel test, you know, this is not a movie for you. You know, you should stick with book smart. Like that's going to solve all your problems. The prom is perfect movie for you, but this is not, you know, there, there is, I think people who appreciate sort of cinema quote unquote are a dying breed. Like I think that the, even the film critics have sort of jumped off that. What they define, you know, the, the sort of high status film critics like David Ehrlich and people like that, like the, what they define as movies is, is, you know, as great cinema is very different from what the old people who think Godfather is the greatest movie of all time think, you know? So I don't know, but, but the Oscars are a consensus vote, like thousands and thousands of people vote on them. So the movie that wins has to be a movie that thousands and thousands and thousands of people like, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's not yes. going to be Mank. Um, <laughs>
1: okay. All right. I'm I,
0: sorry, but it's not. It's just not. And it's not, <laughs> not going to be, I, you know, Land even is a tall order on that, right? Yeah,
2: that
0: is. So, um, all right. So really quickly, how do we think that New York film critics are going to go?
1: I'm just I hope they go I hope I hope they don't vote for anything that the Boston critics voted for just out of, <sighs> out of just to be contrary.
0: <laughs> <That was spiteful. laughs> you know, New York and
2: Boston, they don't like each other very much. Mm. Uh, I think I think it's gonna be more of Nomad Land, but I think if I, I think if there's another film that could take over as the critic starling, um I think Minari has a chance to do that. I think that's Another one that personally that's my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. Mm. Um, talk about a uh, really people Yeah, what? Sorry.
1: No, you go ahead. No, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say talk about a movie that that, that people is are is easy easy for people to love. I don't yes. see how anyone could watch Minari and not love it. Yes,
2: I, I, that's that's kinda where I, I fell personally and uh, it's funny and it's dramatic and it's uh, you know, I really well performed. It's another actor showcase, I think, from top to bottom, everybody in it. So, you know, um, I don't know that that's a winner, but I, I could see it being, you know, a winner of a few critics' prizes.
1: That'd be something if two, if two movies, twi- yeah. if, uh, for the first time in 105 years or whatever, 93 years, if two movies in a row win that are about um, Korean,
2: Korean, families, yeah. Korean
1: uh, characters. Two totally like, different films, but a totally
2: <laughs> totally different type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. But Korean families. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
3: I could see, uh, for the past two years, um, New York films critics has awarded a Netflix film. Last year it was The Irishman. The year before it was um, Roma.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah. So
3: I could I could actually see them going for make. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense.
0: Um, they're not going to do that. They're going to award a film directed by a woman. But yeah. Okay. But
2: which, yeah. which one? Do you think No men,
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just feel like they, I mean, they have a tendency sometimes to just really go off the rails and pick something very kind of... Mm-hmm. Um, but, but since the 1930s, they've been, to my mind, other than the National Board of Review, like the most influential film critics group. So I feel like whatever they pick is going to have a lot of prestige. You know the the New York the National Board of Review doesn't announce until January. Like wow. I feel like after New Year's it's. and in January it's really, the the awards race is going to start to begin oh. in. No, I know. It's like so We're going long. to
2: be so exhausted from all the
0: <laughs> Well, cuz we're extended. used to No, exactly. We're used to the Oscar race happening right now. Like what is it? It's yeah. it's December, the end of December. Oh, like geez. right now we would know what everything was winning best picture. Yeah
1: usually i mean ordinarily we would be posting you know I, I was i was on top of the boston film critic today just it, just posting it as as it happened i was doing live coverage of the boston film critics as they came in it's over the period of span of four hours and it's like it was like an hour and a half before anyone even came to comment and that's it's not like our readership at all you mm. know i don't even think the readers are in, in total in the groove yet it's like well we didn't I don't know if anyone who's even prepared to know that the Boston film critics were even announcing today. And so, but I do, I do think that you're right about New York being influential because so many Hollywood people, so many filmmakers do live in New York. And so they, they're, they're, they see, they know the critics there and they, they read the newspapers there. Whereas they, Boston to them is just not even on their radar maybe.
0: Right. Boston usually comes in late. It's usually the National Board of Reviews first, then the New York film critics, then a couple of weeks later, the L.A. film critics and then the cascade of film critics where they stop really kind of, you know, they don't really stand out.
1: I think last year or the year before, Boston and D.C. and maybe Vegas or someplace all announced on the same Sunday afternoon, which, you know. They didn't even care that they're competing with each other. They were just kind of like, just kind of stragglers, all doing it all at once, and they didn't even want to want to have the spotlight. It's everything is so different this year. It's black.
0: <laughs> you know it's so weird. It's so strange. I hope that by next year everything will be, you know, back to normal. Though you just never say never um but uh i you know it's hard because i don't feel like any of the movies that are in the race right now are kind of speaking to the moment because they couldn't really do that they just had no time to plan for it so oh, right. you know we don't have that movie that's going to kind of like you know resonate other than other than the sort of the, the you know the the movements that are kind of you know dominating the left black lives matter and you know films about by women those kind of things are going to matter, but but I don't know what else will you know
1: only I mean back circling back around to the very beginning of the podcast, the only the luckiest movie of the year as far as as accidentally hitting the zeitgeist that it didn't even know was going to be happening is The trial of Chicago Seven. Who would have ever thought that right. when you start to make a movie two and a half years ago that the that the same year that it finally gets made and gets released is a, is a, the country is going to be and with such strife and so many protests across the country. So there's going to be like a, like a deja vu of 1968. Right. Who would have ever guessed that, that the current events would, would, would intercede and, and, and match up with a movie that well.
0: See, so the, the problem I have with that movie is other than the fact that I don't think Aaron Sorkin is a very good director. Um, because he's in love with his words. Sorry, that's my cat purring into the mic. Look at (laughs) my (laughs) kitty,
1: get down. That's
0: lovely. (laughs) She purred. Um, Uh Aaron Sorkin, you know, he's verbose anyway, but Netflix gives, you know, the problem with Netflix is they give a lot of directors free reign um, to do whatever Mm -hmm. they want, and I feel like a lot of times they take advantage of that and that they don't discipline themselves. And I feel like with, with Chicago 7, it was it, 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 to me, it, it held me until like the last third and then it started to lose me a little bit with the talkiness of it. I usually like Aaron Sorkin, but I like him better when he's reigned in. And so mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, he needed a little more discipline on that. But, um, but I feel like he, uh, you know, they, they definitely have that zeitgeisty thing. They're like the only one that does. But Netflix is going to have to figure out which film they want to push, right? Um, I feel like they, you know, they have Ma Rainey, they have Mank, and they have Chicago 7, like that's, that's a, that's a full load, so which one are they going to, you know, back? That's
1: right. I was be. so surprised yesterday that I opened the door to go to the mailbox, and on the doorstep was this huge, heavy box, and I thought, what the fuck? I don't remember ordering anything that's supposed to be delivered today, and it's this enormous big coffee table book from Chicago 7 oh, nice. that, uh, that Netflix sent, and the fold-out DVD screener deluxe and they had the soundtrack CD and the oh, best wow. song CD all in the awesome. same package. And I thought, this is lavish. I'm just hoping and praying they do the same thing for Mank because I would love to have that, you know. But, yeah. And I'm sure they will, but I mean, I was no, totally unprepared that they would bestow such, such you know, um, grand presentation for, for Chicago 7 like that. I will say about Chicago 7... Maybe, I think, it's a, I think it's a dark horse for best editing. I think oh, yeah. as companies, oh, yeah. I, think it, I think it's, I think to balance, to balance all of those interlocking and interwoven storylines together and keep it straight so that you never felt lost and you always knew where you were and what was happening when, I think it was a tour de force effort in editing. Yeah, for
0: sure, that and that saved Aaron Sorkin a lot, was the editing, especially in the so first too. two-thirds, you know?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. what you mentioned about um, Mank, Ma Rainey, and Trial of Chicago 7 being all under Netflix, it's interesting when you think about what those movies will probably compete the most for. They're all kind of separate, right? With Ma Rainey, it's mostly Viola and Chadwick. I don't know that it's too much other than that that'll threat to win, maybe. Um, with Mank, it's more of like, probably the technical side of things cinematography editing sound uh writing etc whereas with chicago seven it's um you know editing supporting actors picture so they may be able to spread i don't know i don't really know how the campaign stuff works but if they if all their films are kind of going in different directions Mm -hmm.
1: they might different strengths in each film yeah yeah what do you think about yeah. Ma
0: Rainey as the dark horse to win Best Picture?
1: I think it's well within the realm of possibility. Yeah. I really do. I mean, especially because, like, like uh, our friend Ann Thompson often says, you build a Best Picture winner by the branches, and I think it's yeah. strong in every single branch. And I think the more that we, early in the evening, as we see, as we watch what wins what, the more that Ma Rainey begin if if it starts to rack up surprise wins. You know, it could happen. Yeah, it's 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 polished and and elegantly put together in in every aspect. I think hmm. cinematography is gorgeous. The uh, the production costumes, design. production design, yeah. and makeup. It's got a lot mm-hmm. of everything.
0: I'm still right. just hung up on this idea that I don't know that they're ready to give Netflix best picture. But you know what? I thought that about Parasite last year. I thought they're not ready to. Give a foreign language film Best Picture, but they did it. So you know, my prejudices can always get in, in my way.
1: Well, it's not um, just your prejudices. You you go with so much, and you, rightfully so, Sasha. You 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 deal in precedence and what's <laughs> happened before, and your and stats and the stats hold up much of the time. But just like the. Um, when the electorate in a presidential election turns out to be different than what the electorate usually yeah. is you have different results that are unpredictable and the academy is a different academy than it was 5 years ago there's e- easily 3000 easily 2000 2500 people in the academy now who weren't in the academy 5 years ago
0: right
1: so the, and they, all, they and they they attention they, they intentionally try to make those 2500 new people be as different from the current members as they could possibly right and the you know, actors I, don't
0: care they just want to work and so if netflix is going to yeah. offer them work they're going to be like more power to netflix you know
1: yeah right that's but, what I was, um, I was trying to say earlier but i kind of stumbled around and didn't say it very well but, I'm, <laughs> no, but anybody right. that tried to say that nobody makes any money off of netflix doesn't know what they're talking about um because everybody is involved with netflix right does. Including,
0: well, us. <laughs> so, including um, us, no, uh so before we let you go, Mark, um is there yeah. anything else that you wanted to say um that that we didn't get to?
2: Um, no, I think we covered a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff today, so thanks for thanks for having me on. I've been wanting to do this for a while, so. Hopefully you get to great do great it to many more times. Yeah, thanks.
1: Great yeah, to
0: have you on. I mean, and, the
1: only and thing that aggravates me is that your voice is much better than mine. You have <laughs> your, my, my voice <laughs> okay. aggravates the shit out of me, but oh. other than that <laughs>
0: Shut <laughs> up, Ryan. That's not true. <laughs> I think everybody um, so, feels that way. <laughs> uh, and, and I would say, you know, if we were doing this live, I would say, you know, check into Mark's um, column, but, uh, you know, it'll probably post around the same time as or maybe even after this thing. Um
1: Posts. We could post it tonight. We could post it first thing in the morning. Yeah, you're, so you're, that's a thing. I,
0: it's going to post. Yeah. But um, did did you want to just really quickly talk about best actor? I think we didn't cover sure. it. Did we cover that?
2: Um, no, but I did. it's Chadwick. I think for, for me it's Chadwick, no question. I okay, don't think so he can be denied. Okay,
0: so you don't think that it's weird that Boston film critics came in with Anthony Hopkins, even though Chadwick no. Boseman
2: no, I don't, I don't know. Cause I think, I mean, it's a it, preference at that point probably. I think it's and,
1: weird yeah. that, that Chadwick didn't even place yeah. and second. Yeah. yeah. That's, I wasn't surprised, but I don't, yeah, I do think it's between the two of them, between uh, yeah. Hopkins yeah. and, and Bozeman. But I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't see how anyone can touch Bozeman this year.
2: Yeah, I can't either. The, the, honestly, aside from Hopkins, which the father is like the one I haven't seen yet. Um, mm. uh, so I can't wait in too much on that, but the other one that I think could be, you know, a spoiler with critics groups especially is Riz Ahmed for uh, Sound of Metal.
0: Boy, the critics yeah, are yeah, really we, going all in for that movie. I didn't, I didn't really yeah. like it that much myself, but um,
2: yeah, I, I liked it. It was, it, it wasn't anything that blew me away or anything. But
1: do um, we want to at least talk about the the perspective nominees for Best Actor yeah. other than the top? Because-
0: uh, so, so, what do you have on your so list Gary- there, Mark? What do you have for your five?
2: So I just closed it. Actually, I'm going to go with oh, my I'm five. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm pretty, I'm, no, it's okay. I'm pretty sure it's Bozeman and then Hopkins, and then I think I have Oldman and Ahmed, and I'm struggling to remember my fifth. Of Shit. course, so we're
3: Orlando, has, maybe. I'll bring it
2: back up this desktop.
0: So um, just really quickly, yeah, uh, when I, Clarence and I watched this Netflix holiday toast that they had where they <laughs> sent out really nice swag, I got to admit, like <laughs> champagne yeah. and a robe and socks and everything. Yeah, that was but, awesome. And it was wow. really nice. But um, but then you could tell from that, like, who's in it to win it. And you could see that, that uh, Delroy Lindo was there.
2: Yes, that's my fifth.
0: So that's that, important. when I saw him appear, I thought, okay, wow. So he's really campaigning for this. So, yeah. he, you know, he has a good shot at it.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, there's a couple just outside that five too that I, you know, would, I, I'm really rooting for. I, I think one of the movies that I've been most excited for this entire year was Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. And I really like what Keith Stanfield, everything he's done, I think he's been underrated and starting with short term 12 opposite Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd love to see him sneak in if that movie lands well. And then of course, Steven Yoon for Minari. Those are kind of my right. two. Oh God, ones.
0: he's so good. Yeah. So yeah. Minari is your favorite film that you saw, Mark?
2: So far. Yeah. That's, that's mm. the one I have. Number one, I think, uh, honestly promising young woman and, and probably trial of the Chicago seven are probably right there with it. But,
0: yeah. but Minari
2: just really moved me. I, I loved everything about it.
0: Oh, God, me too. I loved it so much. I, I would bet you that this is, you know, that if Parasite hadn't won last year, we'd have a really good yeah, shot at winning maybe. Yeah, this maybe. year. But um, but it's such a good movie. I love its message, you know, yeah. of of unity. And, and uh, you know, to me it was such an American movie. It's really about the American dream. Um, and, uh, I, I, yeah, I loved it too. Really expert filmmaking, beautiful acting, just wonderful across the board. And
2: that, that score, though. Oh, my gosh, that yeah. score. I can't wait to get the... A, co- a copy of that when it comes on iTunes or whatever I loved it
0: it's yeah cool. and
2: the a the Boston
1: Boston critic today did. gave it be, yeah best score
0: yeah. yeah, best score okay we'll have to download that alright oh, Mr. Good. Mark thank you for joining right. us hopefully we'll thank do this again
1: when we have time absolutely and, um, yeah I'd love to alright nice talking all right. to all you next week or next month or whenever <laughs> or next time <laughs> next
2: year or whatever okay well, alright
1: have a good night guys alright okay. see ya bye bye